Welcome back to Prospects to Pros uh, podcast with on The Athletic, where we're going to cover everything, NFL draft to rookies, everything in between, all year round. I'm Dane Brugler. That's Chris Burke, uh, Kent Garrison producing. Uh, we're back after a pretty eventful week one of college football. Good to see uh, college back. Uh, something to talk about, actually games to talk about. We've got the NFL kicking off this weekend, so plenty to get to. First off, Chris, how was the weekend? Did uh, you know, what was was there one game maybe that you caught on the college slate that really stood out to you that you really enjoyed watching? Uh, it doesn't really feel like fall's coming until I stay up past midnight watching a random <laughs> Pac-12 game. So I got to thank yeah. uh, USC and uh, Fresno for <laughs> letting me ease into the season there. Um, yeah, I mean it, it's just it it's fun to have the full schedule back, even though it wasn't necessarily a great week. I mean the Oregon. You know, that Oregon-Auburn game was um, incredible. I mean, the Notre Dame-Louisville game was actually more entertaining than I thought it was going to be on Monday night. um, You know, Louisville looks like they could be certainly much improved over what they have been in the past. Um, And then, you know, for me, like, especially the first weekend, just sort of bouncing around and waiting for a game to emerge. Did you catch any of that Iowa State-Northern Iowa classic there? Yeah, that was... With especially Iowa State coming into the year as a, a team that I think some people thought could really uh, contend for the Big 12 title, uh, not a f- good first showing. Uh, it, they obviously lost a, a few key players that are now in the NFL with David Montgomery at running back and Hakeem Butler at receiver. But you'd think they'd be able to take care of an FCS opponent like Northern Iowa. But credit to them, uh, taking them to, what, three overtimes was it? And Iowa State was able to squeak it out. But, yeah, it's it's why you love college football is because there's always – you just never know. And especially that first week where we're still – you know, we think we know, but then we get into it and there's always something that uh, something that goes on. I, I You mentioned the Oregon-Auburn game, and I, I think that's where a good place to start just with these quarterbacks. Uh, we talked about it last week. Three quarterbacks uh, were ranked in my top ten uh, of the overall uh, draft board, and – Justin Herbert, big stage for him Saturday night, neutral field against an SEC opponent. It was really a mixed bag from him. Uh, plenty of good, plenty of bad, uh, a little bit of inconsistency mixed in, which has really been the case for him over his career. The physical traits are easy to spot. The size, uh, the arm strength, his athleticism, but you just want to see him get over the hump and win some of those big games. And he wasn't able to do that on Saturday night. Now, I don't think anything happened that is really going to move the needle too much one way or the other um, in that Auburn game. But still, it was almost a a missed opportunity for Justin Herbert to get off his final season uh, in a a way that's really going to attract attention from scouts. So, again, I don't don't think anything big happened that's going to really, you know, change the narrative around his NFL future, at least at this point uh, here in early September. But uh, I don't know. What was your initial impressions after seeing him against uh, a tough opponent? Yo, I mean, we kind of talked last week about just watching the progression of these guys, and I think that's the thing. Like you said, it, I don't know that there was an area where he was noticeably better or noticeably worse than he was last year. So I guess you just sort of start this season now at the same point you left off last season, for better or worse. I mean, it's also kind of interesting to watch that game, and uh, you know, you kind of get a sense for why – maybe NFL teams that run the more traditional pro style stuff have an issue scouting some of these guys because you know you saw they're banged up at wide receiver but he didn't have a ton of openings downfield a lot of that game was just 
either running the ball because they thought they had an edge up front or just the, you know, the short, quick passes where it was first read, you know, three steps and out and, and not a whole lot of uh, progression for him. So uh, you almost wonder how much of the a game like that even will go on the tape for a team that looks at him later in the year because I just don't know that there was necessarily a ton there that would translate to what a lot of NFL teams are doing. And certainly more are moving toward – you know, those wide open styles, but I don't know that, I don't know if that's fair to put on him as much as just on the, the play calling and the sort of schematic approach in general, but that's one of the takeaways for sure that I had out of that game. Yeah, no, I think you, you're, you're right. Absolutely. And it's, it brings up the point. Okay. Is, is it because the coaches don't trust Herbert to, you know, take on more uh, of the offense, uh, take more downfield shots? Or was it, uh, like you said, it's because they were they were missing their top four receivers due to injury. Uh, they were missing, uh, or, or you know, they they just with knowing the Auburn defense, they were trying to be just a little more conservative uh, and you know really lean on their offensive line and the run game, which is a strength. Receivers clearly the weakness in that offense, and so was it more just that was the game plan or were they just reluctant to put more on Herbert's plate? And so that is something that to watch uh, the rest of the year. And uh, as we go forward, I, I think, you know, the one touchdown he did throw, I, you know, a lot of people were saying it was just a jump ball and, you know, not giving him credit, but I'll give him credit. I, yes, it was a jump ball. Absolutely. Uh, but a senior quarterback with his experience knew it was a six, five receiver against a five, nine corner. And the, where he put the football was where only his guy was going to get it. So there was a very high chance that it was either going to be a touchdown or an incompletion. And so I, I give Herbert credit for uh, making that throw and for score the touchdown. Even Yes, it was a contested play. It was more of a 50-50 jump ball. But there, it's more than just a prayer that he threw up there. So I do give him credit for that. Uh, on the flip side, Tua uh, at, from at Alabama had really almost a flawless game against Duke. And I think we have to, you know, point out that Duke is not a formidable opponent, um, you know, with the offensive line, with the receivers that Alabama has, is really, they had no chance of keeping up. But Tua just looks so smooth out there. Uh, his And everything that we said about him in the preseason over the summer, it, he showed it uh, on uh, on Saturday. And, you know, just the improv. Uh, improv- improvisational skills can't say that word uh he, he just did a nice job uh, when he saw pressure he's able to use his legs able to use his arm uh just a really quick clean motion get the ball out and consistently move the chains and, and score points and so Tua looked exactly like I think we hoped he would or you know going in thinking uh, that the talent level is there to be a top five pick and I, I think he showed that yeah I mean Two things for me, and one is that I've been practicing, and I think Tungo Vailoa is pretty close. I think I'm in the ballpark, <laughs> so I'm going to try and say it every once in a better while. Better than I do. Um, but, yeah, then the other thing is you mentioned, like, j- he, he is very smooth. I mean, I think the thing that really jumps out for me, though, and I, I think you've mentioned it um, when you've written about him before, is just the, the accuracy on his throws. Like, everything, whether he's throwing from, uh, you know, a solid base in the pocket or on the move, like a, most of those passes are where they need to be, you know, and they're hitting guys in stride. Or if they're on the sideline, they're on the outside shoulder so that they're not in a spot where they're going to get picked off. And it's really impressive to see that. I think that 
um, can be a really difficult thing for quarterbacks, especially college quarterbacks who are so mobile to sort of pin down uh, at this stage of their career. And so, you know, again, it was Duke, but to end up 26 of 31 with four touchdowns, I mean, I don't think anything in that game was cheap for him. You know, everything was because he made the plays that he needed to make. So, yeah, he's he's incredibly impressive. You can understand why he's we're, – we're already talking about him as a potential, you know, number one overall, top five guy. Um, and just a, a great start to the year for him. I mean, I'll also say it helps probably to have Jerry Judy on the outside. I mean, that dude yeah. is uh, – like, I don't know if – I know you've had your rankings and everything. Like, what – do you have a ceiling for him in the draft? Like, how high you think he could get up there? Oh, I think he could go top five. I mean, he's – rarely do you see a receiver with his – because he has average measurables. Uh, you know, he's not going to – he's not the biggest guy. He's lean. I mean, he's really similar to Calvin Ridley in a lot of ways, just in terms of uh, the raw measurables. But he just moves differently. You know, he's so dynamic. His ability to accelerate in a blink. Uh, I mean, he, him against a defender in space is like a defender's worst nightmare because his ability to shift those gears, make guys miss – uh, just destroy pursuit angles is really silly. And I think, you know, you made a great point when you talk about Tua and throwing to a, the right spot. That, that is a crucial part of that Alabama offense when you have guys like Ruggs and Judy and Jalen Waddle, who's outstanding, only a true sophomore. So, you know, we're going to talk a lot about him this year. But in the 2021 draft, Waddle has all the makings of a first round pick. Uh, it's a lot. It's a catch and go type of offense for Alabama, where uh, two is putting it in a spot where they can catch it and go. And we saw that against Duke, uh, especially in that touchdown uh, catch by uh, by Judy. He is an explosive player. Uh, you know, he's he's going to be a top fifteen pick, and it's just a matter of you know where a team that needs a receiver feels comfortable taking a sub two hundred pound. Uh, you know, doesn't have, you know, the huge size, average size, average catch radius, you know, where a team feels comfortable taking a guy like that. Could be top five, uh, could absolutely be uh, top 10. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. Uh, One other quarterback, Jordan Love against Wake Forest, kind of like Herbert. It was a mixed bag up and down. Um, I don't think anything happened to necessarily change because what he showed um against wake forest uh, which it was on the road you know it's a long way for utah state to go uh, a new coaching staff a new offense so there's a lot of variables here with jordan love i thought he did pretty well and if you like jordan love liked what you saw over the summer i, I thought you know nothing really changed for you uh, in this game still you can tell he's still piecing things together from a mental standpoint in terms of reading the defense, making the right decision, uh, needs to be a little quicker eliminating things and going through his progressions. But I think he's getting there. And you see progression. You see uh, the loose skill set. And so that's why I think Jordan Love uh, you know, did not make me feel like, oh, shoot, I have this guy too high, uh, ranking him number 10 overall uh, on, my, on my board going into the year. And then one other quarterback, too, J- Jacob Eason, who uh, at Washington, we haven't seen him in a couple years, uh, started as a true freshman, at Georgia, then a sophomore year, got hurt. Next thing you know, Jake Fromm comes in. He's the starter at Georgia. He's not giving up the job. Easton goes out to Washington, uh, where he's from, and sits out last year, gets on the field this year as, uh, as a redshirt junior. And I know he's East, Eastern Washington, uh, Washington, so it's an FCS opponent. 
but he looked outstanding. Uh, he looks like you know the prototypical uh, NFL franchise quarterback. Just when you look uh, look at him, uh, the physicality that he has, the way he can throw the football down the field. There's a lot to like about Jacob Eason. And again, it was only uh, Eastern Washington, but it was a good first step for him. Uh, he's got a bigger opponent coming up this weekend against Cal. We'll talk about that in the next episode when we preview the weekend. But Jacob Eason's making a strong case why he deserves to be talked about uh, in you know, that. When we talk about these top quarterbacks, he deserves to be in that conversation. So, uh, it, you know, he's definitely going to be a guy we need to watch throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of that old saying, like you can only play the teams on your schedule, right? And like if he has a mm-hmm. terrible game there, then you sort of wonder if he's all the way back and, and ready to sort of handle that duty. And now, like you said, he played really well, had the four touchdowns. You get a tougher opponent now, and we'll, we'll sort of see. I mean, for Jordan Love, just to go back to him for a second, you know, I don't want to, you know, you don't want to knock a guy when, especially, you know, your team gives up 38 points and whatever it was, 600 yards of offense to Wake Forest. You know, obviously there were some defensive issues there. Um, the three interceptions he threw were, at least two of them were pretty bad. Um, the one mm-hmm. coming late when they were trying to get into uh, into fugal range um, to tie that game, just a, you know, bad throw, bad decision. And then he had the one down uh, near the goal line that was from the far hash mark, you know, it looked like he was trying to throw a fade route or corner route to the opposite side off his back foot, really underthrew it. Um, how much do you worry about those mistakes with him? Like you said, it, it, I don't know if there was necessarily a huge amount of progress, sort of the same talking point as the Justin Herbert one. Uh, this, right. whatever you thought going in is probably what you think coming out. But do those interceptions, you know, those types of mistakes concern you more just because of, where we're talking about him, you know, talking, saying he's maybe a top 10 guy. And then he has those uh, three interceptions in one of their, you know, one of their bigger games that they're going to play this year. Right, exactly. And you, you mentioned that, that first interception in the red zone where it, and it really, I thought the decision was okay. It's just the mechanics. You know, he was falling backwards, almost like a fade away. Um, and that motion really took away from his trajectory of the of the of the, the placement and was made it an easy interception for the the Wake Forest uh, defender. So I, I think it just comes down to kind of like Herbert, the consistency factor, and you know learning you know what he can get away with and what he can't. You know it's a simple yeah I, I get what he was doing with the fadeaway, but if he simply just steps into that throw and is a, l- a little more accurate, aims it, I, you know it's a touchdown and six points and. Uh, you know, maybe the the end result of the game's different than Utah State losing by a touchdown. So it's it's something. It's a, a place. Okay, this is where we are right now. Now let's see progress. Uh, you know, this is where he is. Let's see where he is at the end of the year and everywhere in between you know, as we go game to game. Uh, Utah State's got a couple pretty big opponents coming up with even in the Mountain West. They have San Diego State coming up, Colorado State, and then they go to LSU. And so we'll be talking about that quite a bit. That'll be a big performance for him. But I thought he did a nice job on the road, um, you know, not looking like the moment was too big with a new supporting cast, new coaching staff. So at least that was, um, you know, a positive to take away from it. And one more note on Jordan Love, I found out he is on pace to graduate in December. And that's very relevant for draft purposes because that means he would be eligible for the senior bowl if he does declare after this year uh you can almost guarantee as long as he graduates he will receive an invite to the senior bowl and it'd be a lot of fun to see justin herbert who is a senior and jordan love down there in mobile alabama watching those two guys duke it out 
uh, just maybe battle to be uh, the, who between those two who would be the first quarterback drafted. I think that would be a lot of fun. So something to watch for there. Um, okay, getting off the quarterbacks for a little bit here. The one of the I think an interesting storyline in week one is a look at some of these big time prospects who are coming back off an injury. Uh, you know, a, a big time injury that really kept them in school for another year. Uh, there were a couple of these guys. Zach Moss from Utah, first one that stands out. Uh, and in the Holy War against BYU, there was there was no easing him back. He had 31 touches, and he looked outstanding. He looked like he was in midseason form. Uh, the knee injury that he had last year, no uh, effects of that uh, whatsoever. He was at he averaged I think 6.4 yards per carry. Uh, the vision, the athleticism looked outstanding, and then also uh, the contact balance. That's that's his calling card. That's what makes him a potential top 50 guy. So it was good to see Zach Moss back in the fold, and then. Uh, going back to the Alabama game, Trevon Diggs missed last year, uh, the second half of last year with a foot injury. Uh, we talked about him in last week's episode, the little brother of Stephon Diggs. Uh, Trevon Diggs is a former wide receiver who moved to corner, and you saw those ball skills, the tracking skills, and just the freaky athleticism at 6'2", 200 pounds uh, on the interception that he made against Duke. He looked all the way back. Uh, he's absolutely in the conversation to be a top 20 pick and uh, one of the first uh, cornerbacks drafted, if not the first cornerback. He is that good. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I think like you said about um, uh, about Diggs, and you mentioned in the, in your post-up this week of just sort of looking back at some of those guys with injuries, like they, there are there are some impressive cornerbacks in this class. We keep talking about the quarterbacks, but I think they're, it's sort of setting up for there to be a pretty good competition up top for the cornerbacks too in that top 15, 20 range. And, um, assuming he stays healthy, there's every reason he should be there. Um, and Moss, I mean, yeah, they come back from injury at 187 yards. Uh, I mean, again, you do sort of worry about like just the beating he puts himself through every week because he seems to seek mm-hmm. out that contact so much. But you know, as you mentioned, it's just it's part of his game. Like he's not getting hit and going down on the first first touch very often, if right. at all. You know, he's the guy that's going to get you those yards after contact and that's certainly valuable uh, in all phases for a running back I you know pretty much agreeing with you across the board on him it was such an impressive first game back um, and another injured guy that I wanted to mention uh, over here in my neck of the woods it, Kenny Willekes at Michigan State um, had the bowl injury last year uh, I know you wrote about him too but um, mm-hmm. sort of on the fence whether he was going to go probably I mean I probably goes if he doesn't get hurt in that bowl game i don't know if that's if it was a lock but uh certainly that changed the broken leg yeah the broken leg in that uh, red box bowl and you know came out and again you look at the opponent it was tulsa's offense but i mean he looked he certainly didn't look slower or less agile than he did last year i mean he was a force again off the edge for michigan state in their opener yeah yeah he was and he uh i in my wrap-up, I posted a clip of that touchdown that he had uh, recovering the fumble. Uh, it was actually his teammate, Raekwon Williams, a defensive tackle, who forced the fumble, but it was Willicke's, uh initial pressure, that disruption off the edge, that forced the quarterback into a vulnerable spot and uh, you know led to the fumble. So, uh, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for that. It, this dude's just so intense. I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's fun watching him hunt the quarterback uh and he he's not the biggest guy he's probably six two and a half 265 pounds and he's gonna get dinged throughout the process i can 
you know, you can already tell uh, because he doesn't have really long arms. Probably, you know, we'll find out the senior bowl or at the combine, probably, you know, 32 and a half at the most. Um, and then he's not going to test over really well. Um, you know, I think he might have a, a decent 10 yard split, that initial quickness, uh, but he's not, his 40 is going to be average. Um, I think some of these other drills are going to be average, but this dude is so intense when you watch him play, the energy that he has. And yeah, that if there was anybody that was going to come back from an, from an injury and, <laughs> you know, really trust, you know, there, there was no easing his way back, just like Moss, yeah. uh, you know, trusting the leg, to, you know, all that. He he looked like he was, you know, had it missed a beat. So he, the, the boundless energy uh, is really something that, that stands out. And, you know, it, it's kind of similar to maybe a Chase Winovich. I was just going to uh, say Another that. guy <laughs> up your way. Yeah, where, yeah, exactly. He's another guy who was kind of dinged throughout the process for certain things. Now, part of Winovich's story, why he fell, was just some locker room stuff. And, you know, we can go into that another time. But with Willikies, he, he seems like he's got – he's really buttoned up in that uh, category where he's a team leader. He's going to get the most out of guys. Um, you know, teams, all his teammates really, really respect him for the way he plays the game. And that wasn't always the case with uh, Winovich, but th- this guy, I think he has a chance to solidify himself somewhere in that day two. I don't know if he's going to get in the first round, but somewhere on day two, you know, he's got that type of talent. And then the intensity that he brings really kind of puts it over the top. Yeah. Michigan State fans probably don't want to hear that comparison necessarily, but even just from a, <laughs> right. the intensity, but also, like you said, sort of the size. And Winovich was, what, 6'2, six, 6'3, six, like 255 something, 260. And, right. Um, it, Willikis is probably in that similar ballpark. So yeah, there <laughs> there are some similarities there. We've already seen, you know, Winovich slid into day two, sort of seeing the impact that he looks like he might make in New England. And uh, again, if Willikis can stay healthy, like just that defense ha- has a way of uh, in, at Michigan State, you know, being able to unleash guys up front and, and letting them get after the quarterback. They're ultra aggressive all the time, and uh, it certainly plays right into what he can do. Right, and so one other guy to talk about coming back from major injury, Trey Adams, the left tackle at Washington, who, uh, going back to the 2017 season, if he hadn't torn his ACL midseason that year, I think he would have been the first tackle drafted uh, in the 2018 draft. Not not Mike McGlinchey, who went nine overall to the Niners. I think it would have been Trey Adams, but he tore his ACL, uh, comes back for a senior year last year, but right before the season started, had to have back surgery to repair some bulging discs, and that really sidelined him for almost the entire year. He came back for like the final four games, but looked like a shell of himself. So he's back. It's been a challenging, what, 22 months for him, uh, almost two years. He's back on the field at left tackle. Uh, it's it's really tough for guys to come back from not only a knee injury, but also a back injury, especially these guys uh, on the offensive line like Trey Adams, who's 6'8", 305. Um, he looked pretty pretty good uh, against Eastern Washington, but again, considering the opponent, uh, but it was good baby steps for him. And so it'll be interesting to watch Adams throughout the year. A, can he stay healthy? And then B, can he return to uh, the form that we saw in 2017 that really made a lot of scouts think, okay, this is a future top 15 pick. Can he be that type of guy? It's it's really tough to come back from those types of injuries. Uh, the medicals will be paramount at the combine just to find out if there are any lingering effects. 
uh, any reason to be worried moving forward. Uh, but Trey Adams, I thought, looked pretty good uh, in his return to the field, which is which is awesome. It'll be interesting to watch him moving forward now. Hopefully, he can keep that up and show progress. So uh, I think from that, it's a good transition. I think each week you know, we're gonna finish each episode with talking about the top 10 um, and break down each kind of position, uh, go position by position, talking about the top 10 prospects. And this week, I thought we'd do offensive tackle because you look around the NFL, a lot of teams need offensive tackle help, and this is a pretty strong group. Uh, and at, for me, there are three guys at the top that really stand out as being uh, top tier. It's Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, the right tackle, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, the left tackle, and then Alex Leatherwood from Alabama, the left tackle. I think all three of those guys have a chance to be legit top 15 picks and the type of tackles that you insert as rookies and they're able to make a pretty sizable impact in year one. So if your NFL team needs offensive tackle help, check out those three guys uh, that, that I just mentioned. I mean, Chris, have you seen these three guys? And if so, what, what were your thoughts on them? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about Werfs last week, and I think um... – I don't know if it's it's probably has something to do with the program there for sure because we you know every year right. I was turning out offensive linemen and tight ends and those guys are getting to the NFL and they're pretty technically sound and they're they have NFL ready you know physical skills you know the, the their bodies are built up the way they need to be to play early in the NFL and I think that both those things stand out for Werfs he's he's really just there's not a lot that you can pick out and say that needs to be refined once he gets in with an NFL coaching staff. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I definitely agree with you that he's uh, right now probably deserves to be atop that list, even though, as you mentioned, there's some other talent up there. It's a good class and some guys that are going to push up and, and give him some competition up there. But for me, that's that's really what jumps out on his tape just watching him last year is that everything looks like you know, it looks like what you'd see from a guy who's playing on Sundays, really, in a lot of ways, and that's impressive given uh, given his age and sort of where he's at and what you'd think is be his developmental curve here. Right, and it was encouraging to see uh, Leatherwood making that transition from right guard to left tackle. He looked really clean uh, in, in the opener against Duke. You know, of course, the competition will get a little better um, as, as they get into SEC play, but Good first step for him. Uh, after him, uh, you know, we had a two, a couple injuries uh, of note uh, this week for offensive tackles. Walker Little from Stanford went down late uh, in the in the game in their win over Northwestern. Uh, seemed like he kind of got rolled up on his leg. And then Alaric Jackson, uh, we just talked about Tristan Wirfs at right tackle for Iowa. Uh, the Hawkeyes left tackle, Jackson. Uh, both those guys are potential first rounders and both are going to be on the shelf. They seem like they're going to be hopefully minor injuries, only a few weeks. Uh, but those would be the guys we talk about next. Hopefully we see them back on the field uh, pretty soon. After that, uh, I think talk, go to the senior class. Uh, that's where uh, Lucas Niang from TCU, 6'6", 336 pounds, really long arms, big hands, uh, his natural base that he plays with is what really stands out for me. It's why he's my top senior offensive tackle and a guy I think can get into that first round conversation. Uh, plays right tackle, moves well, uh, and just needs to be more consistent with his setup and his finish. And I think he'll be there. But uh, you know, he's right there. I think he what comes in at number six. 
After that, uh, uh, Eichenberg from Notre Dame, left tackle. Um, you know, he. I, I think these next two guys that we're going to talk about, Eichenberg and then Ezra Cleaver from Boise State, I wouldn't be surprised if we see these two guys move inside at the next level. Uh, I think they might be end up being better guards. Uh, I think they can play tackle, but they don't have that elite range that you want to see from some of these top guys like an Andrew Thomas or a Leatherwood. But they're very they're technically sound. They understand how to use their hands. Uh, you know they don't get beat often by uh, mechanics, and so you know they have a good understanding of what blockers are trying to do to them. And so for those reasons, that's why you don't see them get beat beat very much on tape. And that's why they you know earn a spot this high uh, in my rankings. And then after that, mention Trey Adams uh, from Washington. Hopefully you know he comes back healthy this year. And then, you know, you mentioned Iowa and how it's kind of a program that produces a lot of offensive line talent. Wisconsin's got another one um, with Cole Van Lannon. Uh, Redshirt junior, he's 6'5", 305. Uh, a program that produces a lot of offensive linemen. You know, he's he's kind of the next one coming through the pipeline. Wisconsin looked really, really good against South Florida uh, on Friday night. Uh, and, you know, I think Van Lannan's going to be, I mean, we know about uh, Biadish at center, who uh, is one of the top centers in the nation, but Van Lannan has a chance this year to really show that he is one of the better tackle prospects in college football. Yeah, I, Notre, I'm jumping off the tackles, but, the, you know, Notre Dame has, uh, there's a couple guys on that Notre Dame line that are pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that, you know, that, that's going to be one, certainly just in general to watch, um, both the tackle and the guard position, uh, they have some guys that can move to the next level. Um, and then we were talking about the Auburn-Oregon game, and there's a couple tackles in that game too. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton, um, I think, will be an intriguing guy to keep tabs on moving forward, especially if this is what the offense for Oregon's going to be, where a lot of it's on the perimeter, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting guys out into space. Because, you know, again, you want for NFL teams, you want to see that the guys can block in the trenches and that they can drop and, and pass protect, but more and more you're needing guys that can get out and, and play those those edge spots and get out into space and, and find guys. So um, that's someone I'll certainly have an eye on moving forward. Um, and then, you know, Adams is uh, so interesting just because of that injury history. And we all, you know, people talk about the knee injuries all the time, but especially for a lineman, those back injuries, I think in a lot of ways will worry NFL teams more just because they can linger forever. And, you know, one little hit and you're back on the shelf for a few weeks. So it's going to be important for him. I, I don't even know if there's that much he can do in games to show that he's back to that top level because I think people know what he is when he's healthy. It's just a matter of staying healthy and getting through this season and playing every game and, you know, showing an NFL team that he can handle that beating week in and week out and, and stay out there on the field because the skill set that we've seen in the past is is pretty undeniable for a guy who could jump to the next level. Right. I'd agree. Um, and I think that pretty much sums up uh, the tackles. Like I said, it's a strong group. It's, it, it's uh you know, we, you mentioned earlier about corner, how that's going to be one of the top positions. Uh, wide receiver is up there. Offensive tackle with some help with, from these juniors, uh, if they declare and they kind of live up to the hype, Offensive tackle, which is great news for the NFL. Offensive tackle would be one of the positions uh, that we talk about as being the deepest and one of the more top-heavy positions in the 2020 class. 
Uh, all right, well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have another episode later this week where we preview the weekend's action, talk about some of the rookies, surprising cuts, surprising rookies who made the team, uh, what college football prospects to watch this weekend in week two. So plenty in an episode coming up. Make sure and catch that, and we will catch you later.